I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And here's the important point. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. So Paul also sees that because Adam was first, that implies a leadership role. Welcome to Life in Christ podcast. We're a podcast of the Landing Church here in Duluth, Minnesota. My name is Pastor Brent Nelson. I'm one of the pastors at the Landing. I'm also serving on the Elder Council with five other elders. Another one of the elders, Howard Hayes, is with me here today. Welcome, Howard. It's good to be here. Thank you. It's good to have you here. We get to talk today about something called complementarianism. Complementarianism. It's the idea that we cherish deeply here at the Landing that we see in God's Word that teaches men and women are created by God, equal in value, yet different in roles. Equal in value, different in roles. That's a good summary of complementarianism, wouldn't you say? It is. Equal in value and dignity in God's sight because we're both created in God's image. Amen. Amen. Well, that's why complementarianism doesn't mean we just say nice things about each other. That's a different word. It means men and women interface in a complementary way in God's design. They have different roles to play. They're not interchangeable roles. They are distinct roles that serve to display the image of God in men and women. Both display the image of God equally and fully, as you suggested the and declared that dignity is the same. But the way that men reveal the image of God is distinct to men, as is the way women reveal the image of God being distinct to women. Right. And the way I think about it is the two together are better than the two separate. Absolutely. That's what I think about when I think about complementarianism. What the woman brings to the table and what the man brings to the table are both important They're different, and as you merge them together, the two become one flesh in a way that is better than the two separately. Right. Absolutely. Well, that suggests that God has good design in the way he made manhood and womanhood, that he has good plans. He has a design for that. Right. You can't have a world full of men without any woman or a world full of women without any men. Such a thing doesn't exist in reality and couldn't exist in reality. God's designed it that way. It's almost like humanity, by his design, will always be, even in nature, in need of him. Even in the idea of humanity existing, we live and move and have our being in him, as Paul said to the Athenians at the Areopagus. It's profoundly on display in the complementarian relationship between men and women. On the one hand, you'll often hear people reject complementarianism for one of two reasons. Sometimes they'll reject it because they say, I've seen so many examples of abuse, domineering, hierarchical, heavy-handed crushing of women at the hands of men, even inside marriages. We're not advocating for any such thing. No. We're not advocating to protect anyone who, who commits such sin. We are not advocating for anything that even sniffs at that. In fact, We see it, we hear it, we'll expose it. Another reason people reject complementarianism sometimes is because they think it is a culturally bound way of understanding marriage in Paul's day. And they almost take on the arrogant approach of trying to correct Paul. Mm. 
It isn't culturally bound. In fact, in our discussion, we'll see both in this conversation and the one to come that it's rooted in the very creation of God and the very creation of God before sin came into the world. That's right. It's part of the creation order before sin interrupted. Right. We know sin confuses everything, but sin doesn't erase maleness or femaleness. Sin doesn't erase manhood and womanhood. It distorts it. It perverts it. It can confuse it, but it doesn't erase or delete the existence of men being men, women being women, as God designed them. Right. That's where it's so important to realize that much of what we get on how this works is in Genesis chapter 2, which is prior to the fall. Yeah. And we'll get into that more in a a few minutes. Well, you said earlier, and let's begin here, you said earlier that men and women are of equal dignity. Where do we see that in Scripture? How, How would we support that and argue for that from God's Word? Well, it comes from the very beginning of Scripture. Hmm. On the first pages of Scripture, God declares in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So from the very first words of Scripture, God says that men and women are equal in value and dignity, and they are co-heirs representing the image of Christ. Not one better, not one worse. Meaning his love is the same for both, his esteem is the same for both, his presence in their lives as believers when they're born again, filled with the Spirit, is the same for both. Right. And his glory can be seen equally through the two. Does that then imply, if God loves and dignifies both men and women equally, that they must be offered the same opportunities in life for behavior and for roles? No, I don't think so. I think we got into this last week, and and we'll get into it later, but if you just look at the Trinity, Mm -hmm. one God, three persons, equal in deity, but different roles. Right. Before creation even existed, for all of time, it's been that way. Yep. That there are different roles, but equality and values. Right. Or value and, in this case, deity. So when we come to questions uh, of manhood and womanhood within marriage, we are not advocating for a view, I'll speak very specifically here, we're not advocating for a view that calls for subordination. Subordination is the idea that one is under sub in a different order than the other, the way, say, a golden retriever is of a different order than its owner. That's a different order of species. In biblical manhood and womanhood, complementarianism, we're not talking about a different order between man and woman. We're talking about submission, not subordination. Huge difference. We're not saying men and women are of a different order, like animals and humans. They're both human beings, fully made in the image of God and worthy of full dignity. But they are called to be in submission, one to the other, women to men specifically. We'll see that in Ephesians 5. That submission means there's a task, there's a mission to be achieved. And the way the mission is achieved is by one taking a role of submissive, uh, servant-like leadership, modeling after Christ. That's the men. Others taking a role of submission in honoring, in affirming, in giving wisdom and encouragement and joining in to that servant leadership that men offer. And that's the role of women. So it's a beautiful picture, achieving the mission. So we talk about submission. In fact, it's a very good translation of uh, the Greek word, that's, that shows up in Ephesians and elsewhere, talking about this idea of submitting. Uh, Ephesians 
521, as well as uh, shows up later in the paragraph following that with regard to men and women in the home. So submission, Bible teaches plainly, subordination between men and women is not a category that we'd advocate because of that allusion you made to the Trinity. Right. Well, let's keep talking. Um, We alluded earlier to the idea that God ordered men and women to have distinct roles with equal value and dignity before the fall entered. That's important because, as you said, it's before sin clouded the issue, before sin broke in with Adam and Eve's disobedience. What are some specific ways that Dr. Grudem in his Christian Ethics book, as well as you in this, uh, in this excellent outline that you offered to the body here at the landing, how could we identify ways in which the very beauty of complementarianism was embedded in creation before the fall? Yeah, uh, Dr. Grudem outlined 10 different indications of male headship in marriage, mm-hmm. and it all emanates from prior to the fall. Mm-hmm. So let's just go through those in order. The first one is the actual order of creation. Adam was created first. Sure. In that, we can imply from that that there's a hint of male leadership in that very fact that Adam was created first. The original readers would see that. Paul certainly uh, refers to that. In the New Testament also, in 1 Timothy 2, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And here's the important point. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. So Paul also sees that because Adam was first, that implies a leadership role. The next indication is representation. Adam, not Eve, had a special role in representing the human race itself. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise— She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So the interesting point here is even though Eve sinned first, who did God call to account? Right. Not Eve. He didn't say, Eve, why did you do that? Right. He called Adam to account. So in that that sense, Adam was the representative of that family. That's important to notice, isn't it? Because later in 1 Corinthians, you point out, Chapter 15, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam's representative of the human race. Massive doctrine. Right. All definitive. In fact, can't be ignored. It's a, it's a foundational doctrine. It, to, to treat it fully is to set ourselves up for an understanding of the gospel that's, that's safe and true and right. Right. The next indication of male headship in marriage comes from the naming of woman. Hmm. So Adam named Eve. Genesis 2.23 says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So again, the original readers would hear that because he named her, that implies that he has authority over her or a leadership role over her. Much like God naming Things in creation. He named day, he named night, he named heaven and earth and seas, which indicated his authority or sovereignty over them. But God had Adam name the animals, Mm -hmm. indicating Adam's delegated authority from God over them. 
And this continued as Adam named Eve. Right. So the naming of woman. Uh, the next indication is the naming of the human race. God very simply named the human race man right. and not woman. Right. Genesis 5 says when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. The next one, we touched on it a few seconds ago, but primary accountability for the sin that occurred in the garden was placed on Adam. God spoke to Adam first after the fall. He called the man and said to him, where are you? And that that word you is singular. Right. It's not like, where are you, Adam and Eve? Right. It was, where are you, Adam? Yeah. Even though Eve sinned first, God summoned Adam to give account for what had happened in his family. So there's that sense of not only male leadership, but male accountability for the family. We even see that in the fact that the devil himself, as the serpent, came and bypassed Adam to get right to Eve. Very, right. very clever on his part, but it was an attempt to undo God's good design and order. Right. He's trying to circumvent the order that God put in place. Right. Uh, the next indication of male leadership is that Eve was created as a helper for Adam, not Adam as a helper for Eve. Genesis 2.18 explains, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 11, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. The Bible clearly says that God created the woman as a helper for the man, and it's a helper that's fit for him, meaning a helper that corresponds to him, a helper that's equal in value. So Eve was created as a helper for Adam, but a helper who was Adam's equal. Yeah. So all of us men, all of us married men especially, or single men anticipating marriage someday must quickly admit, I definitely need help. I mean, I'm... (laughs) Yes, yes. Just this past weekend, my wife was out of town for a couple of nights, and I've just lost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I need my helper. Yep, yep. So beautiful (laughs) design. It's sort of funny because it's so profoundly true. Yeah. Next, we get into the conflict. Okay, what happened in the fall? So the curse from the fall brought a distortion to previous roles, not new roles. Right. You know, egalitarians may say that male leadership is a result of sin. That's not what we believe. No. God spoke the following words of judgment to Eve in Genesis 3. He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So conflict was introduced into the relationship as a result of sin. Right. That Hebrew word translated desire, from my understanding, has a negative or a hostile sense. Yes, it does. Think of the word against. Yeah, it does. And it's not sexual desire. Some people will say that's talking about sexual desire. No. I don't believe that because I think the Bible portrays sexual desire as a good thing. It wouldn't be part of the curse. Of course, yeah. That's right. And then... To help us understand what that means, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. That's the part that people can have different interpretations of. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit later in Genesis 4, when God is talking to Cain before he murdered his brother, says in Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Mm -hmm. 
So sin is pictured as a wild animal ready to pounce and attack him and that he must rule over it. So um, as a judgment of the fall, God introduced conflict into the relationship between right. Adam and Eve. Right. No longer would Eve willingly submit to Adam's um, leadership and his leadership of her would have a tendency to become harsh right. and unloving. Right. Another interesting point of the curse, if you look at the curse, we, we went over the curse that God set against Eve, but note that it introduces pain in her primary responsibility area of childbearing. Right. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And then what does he say to Adam? He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So in his primary area of responsibility, producing food and providing for his family, pain is introduced into that also. Yeah. So pain and conflict are now part of the marriage. So we shouldn't be surprised, especially among those who do not know the restoration of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives individually and in their marriages, we should not be surprised that marriages are fraught with conflict. In his mysterious design, he ordained that there would be pain in childbearing for women, in laboring in the land and ground to provide for his family in men, and that that would create a conflict within the marriage whereby the need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the restoration of the Spirit and the restoration of sins forgiven and of two now being made one in his glorious ability and his ability alone is what would restore the union between men and women. Yeah, so the, that, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel is it, in a way, restores the relationship the way it was prior to the fall. Mm -hmm. So the New Testament and, and Christ's work on the cross is enabling men and women, as you said, to be able to relate to each other in ways that they could before the fall, and even in better ways, as right. you've also articulated, right. because we're both serving Christ. I love that picture of a man and a woman both running full speed towards Christ, and they look over at each other and say, you want to run with me? Yeah, yeah, that's right. What a beautiful picture. <laughs> and now we're a team. Wonderful. Well, when you think of some New Testament passages on which we base our great hope of the gospel and its power to redeem the fallen human heart and the fallen marital relationship, what passages come to mind? Or what passages did Grudem identify or do you identify? Well, I think Colossians 3, 18 and 19 is the most pertinent verse to talk about this. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives hmm. and do not be harsh with them. Mm -hmm. So this speaks directly to restoring the creation order. Right. Wives no longer fight for authority mm -hmm. or try to usurp their husband's authority. And husbands no longer lead their wives in a harsh manner, right? but in a loving manner. Right. May so. it be so. May it be so for... Uh, for you listening, uh, if you're married, may your desire as a woman be to submit to good Christ-like leadership in your husband. May you be, as a man, eager to serve your wife, as if you're married, as Christ does the church. If you're single and you anticipate marriage one day, may these be shaping and informative and guiding to you as you think about a marriage which reflects the gospel, reflects Christ in the church, reflects the good design God has for us in biblical 
manhood and womanhood. This is out of step with the culture, but the culture has been out of step with Christ and with the Word of God for 2,000 years. No surprise that the culture is out of step with these things. But the celebratory nature, the beauty of this, the, the design of this is just undeniable. Howard, thanks for time together to talk about this. We've come to the end of this episode. We're going to take up more passages in the New Testament and understand how to live this out ethically even more next time. Uh, I sure appreciate your learning, communicating, offering this in the podcast setting as well as to our Sunday school class. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you for having me. Would you pray for us as we close? I'd love to. God, what we want the people in our body to know is that the way God created them is the best thing for them. That women should love being women. They should love their womanhood. And men should love being men and love their maleness. And God, help us to have marriages that beautifully reflect the gospel as we work together in ways that are better than we could ever work together if we were the same. Thank you, God, for your beautiful design for marriage and how it does reflect the gospel and Christ in the church. We thank you for all these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for clicking in and listening to this podcast. It's called Life in Christ. It's part of the Ministry of the Landing. If you have any questions for us, reach out to us and contact us. We're happy to answer those as we're able. If you have a church that you're a part of, please dive in with all your might, gifts, and abilities into that church and bless the cause of the gospel where you worship. If you're interested in more about the landing, we'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Look forward to having you join us for the next one. Take care. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.